Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together as your people on this wonderful day to seek your face, to hear from your word, to encourage one another, and to go forth seeking to be a blessing in our community. I ask, as we are gathered this morning, that you would take our minds, think through them, take my lips, speak through them, take our wills and bend them to yours, and take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your Son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in this series throughout August into Labor Day weekend in Matthew's Gospel that has been teaching us in our day how we can be on mission in the West Shore community. You know, if you want to be part of what God is doing, that's what we've been talking about. You know, we were called like the disciples to watch, to learn, to reflect, and to go forth. And we've seen Jesus training his disciples all month. We've seen him demonstrating his power and providing for the 5,000. Last week, we saw him go into Gentileville, you know, and heal the Canaanite women while teaching them all about going to people they don't look like, they don't act like, they don't dress like, and all that stuff. It's been great. And so we come to today's passage, where if you look in the passage right in front of it, Jesus has been warning his friends about beware of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So, in our translation today, it's like he would be saying to us, beware of the fundamentalist legalists and beware of the revisionist liberals. All right? Don't let a smidgen of that come into the body of Christ at Christ Church. That's what he's been talking to his friends. Why? Because he knows just a little bit will spoil the whole loaf of bread. All right? That the Pharisees, those people who are legalistic, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. You know what that ends up happening when you become like that? You become either suicidal because you can't keep up with all the rules, or you become like one of them. Which is worse. Just mean-spirited Christianity, which isn't Christianity at all. But also be aware of the revisionists who take the scripture and make, take the vocabulary of scripture and pour their own meaning into it and make it mean whatever they want it to mean. Oh, we know about that, don't we? <laughs> We've been there. And we allowed the leaven to come in and it ruined the place. But we took a stand, and here we are. Thank God. Free at last. <laughs> All right? It's a good thing. So beware of those extremes, because neither are the authentic gospel. And now Jesus says, come on, boys. We're going up to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is a place which was named after Caesar and Philip, Herod's brother. It's a nice area in Israel, but there's no Jews who live there. This is another Gentileville, which really worships you know, a lot of pagan different gods. So Jesus seems to want to have taken his disciples away because he's going to ask them this question. And it's as if Jesus is taking them away in order to ask this question, where this question, surrounded by a bunch of Jews, wouldn't attract the attention. All right? And so he's there, he gets up there to this very pagan place. 
And it's as if he's saying, we're not taking one step forward in mission to the kingdom until you get this. So he starts to ask them, who do they say the Son of Man is? That's his favorite term for himself throughout the scriptures. Son of Man. They, they probably don't even know what it means. They probably have a hearkening to Daniel 7, which is the Son of Man, which is the Messiah. But, you know, Jesus used that for himself. And also we see that phrase in Revelations when the Lord will return for his people. So who is this Son of Man? What are they saying? Well, some say John the Baptist, other Elijah, others say Jeremiah. Those are all dead guys. Rise, the, rose again. And then he turns it on the disciples and he says, but I want to ask you, fellas, who do you say I am? And what we learn in this text, there's three great truths, and it's as if Jesus is saying to us here today, don't take one step further until you get this. Number one, God's identity. Two, the church's identity. And three, the church's destiny. God's identity, the church's identity, and the church's destiny. Let's look at this. Open up with me to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Isn't it fun to travel through Matthew? You know, the tax collector, you know. He's, he's one of the original 12. And he, we arrive at verse 16 after Jesus asked that question. And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The Christ, it's the term for the anointed one, the Messiah. Those guys knew what he was saying. You're the one. You are fully God, fully man, God incarnate in our midst. All the scriptures spoke about it, and even they knew Isaiah, which said this, this anointed one would one day suffer. But that's not what they were thinking, right? They were thinking of political change. They were thinking, oh, to bring back David's kingdom and we would be a united nation again. And Jesus was in a different mission. That this gospel would go to all the world, no matter the political geographical landscape. And so this is, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, which is definite article, which means Peter is making a, a truth claim which we must understand, this is God revealed. He is the Lord. There is no other. You know, our culture butts up against that. We look at it as good news. Hey, I don't have to go looking anymore. Here he is. You know, I was, we were watching the movie Gifted. Chris Evans plays this uh, uh, philosopher who is just working on boats. And his sister committed suicide, and she wanted him to raise her daughter. So he's raising his, his niece, and she's absolutely brilliant. She can do college-level calculus at six years of age. But she's a six-year-old. You know, so they're out on the Florida coast, and she's asking them about questions of ultimate reality. And she gets to, well... What about Jesus? Do we like him? He goes, oh, I love that guy. Do what he says. <laughs> exactly. 
Because that's what our culture thinks, right? Oh, we like him. Let's model him. And you know what happens if you go out and try to model what Jesus did? You're going to become a Pharisee or a Sadducee. Because you're going to realize you can't. So you're going to twist it to mean what you want it to mean, which is a gospel of grace alone. Or you're going to make it a bunch of rules that you're going to keep that makes you nothing much more than a legalist alone. And neither have anything to do with the gospel. And so we meet our friends where we live, work, and play, and many of them will say such things as, well, I need proof, absolute proof. You know? Well, that kind of statement ignores that there are two different kinds of proofs. You know, scientifically and mathematically, there's, you know, can you prove that there is a God in the mathematical sense? No. Because the word proof has absolute two meanings. There's the rigorous meaning in math, that is very difficult and rare. But then there's the other meaning, which means beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, that's the kind of proof we can get to, can't we? Because the issue at hand is, does God exist and how do we know? And we believe as Christians that God has revealed himself. And it's not the kind of person who claims they had an experience with God and herefore follow me, it's God himself come down for us. God has revealed himself in creation, he's revealed himself in the word, and he's ultimately revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In other words, what the scripture says, if you want to know God exists, all you need to do is look at the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus came full of grace and truth. You see, it's a historical discovery. And we can trust it when you walk around modern Israel today and all the archaeological digs. If you go to all the museums around the world looking at the ancient documentation, the volumes of text that we have and the scholarship, the evidence is overwhelmingly compelling that we have proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Because the good news truly is that we're all rebels to the core. We want to run our lives our own way. And God has got to deal with rebellion. And because of that, what he did, he solved that problem for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus, if you hear me say almost every week, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died in order that we might have eternal and abundant life. That's good news. As we turn our lives over to him as our Savior and Lord. He is the one true God. That's the Christian faith. And it's not a legalistic faith. And it's not a revisionist faith. You know, when we baptize our children, when we step forward for confirmation, the bishop asks, do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? There's only one choice. I do. If you want to be confirmed. You know? And the reality is, we have to stop before we go one step further and settle this. Is he my Savior and Lord? He can't be one or the other. He's both. And therefore, we trust, we live, we serve. And notice, 
Jesus says, it doesn't come on your own brilliance. It comes simply because the Holy Spirit has spoken to our hearts, and I have no clue about how that works. But yet, Jesus is the Son of the living God. You want to know God exists? Look to Jesus Christ. Secondly, we learn about the identity of God's people in 8 verse 18, the first half of it. Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, dropping the Simon. And on this rock, I will build my church. Through Peter's confession, not Peter himself, through Peter's confession of you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the foundation is being laid for future generations of what God's people will look like and confess. And it will be a community of people who have this profession and live it, believe it, say it, and live it out in the community. And the biggest problem in the American church today, across research, are people who profess to be Christians and yet are very little present in the community of the church. You know, more recent research has revealed that never before in our culture are many who profess belief and yet aren't here or are irregular or rarely here. And God clearly states, my friends, in the scripture, that's not the case. We need to think about what's the role of the church in God's plan for creation, redemption, and eternity. That the Father chose each and every one of us to be part of the church. To be united to Christ is to be united to one another in the church. And that can't happen in solitude. It's like the cello section in the orchestra. You know, I've, I've, me and Kimmy have really come to love the cello. You know, if you cut the cello section in half, the orchestra doesn't sound right. Or if you get rid of the cello section, the orchestra really doesn't sound right. It's the same thing with the church. When people aren't here encouraging one another, worshiping and talking and encouraging one another, the message isn't right. It's like playing baseball without your center fielder. It's like playing football without a center. It's like being an artist without your pencil. Can't be done. So what's the role? First, got to remember that the church is the heart of God's plan before all time. Secondly, it's Jesus is the one who gave his life for the church. Third, that the Spirit unites us to Christ the head and therefore to his body. Fourth, that Jesus delivers himself to sinners now by the ministry of the church. And we never leave that ministry until we die. And finally, the church is the everlasting society of God, our forever family. And therefore, the church never goes away. But we are, in our ethos as an American culture, individuals. We're consumerists. We're the sovereign voter, right? You know, I think I, I'm, I choose to be part of the church, we think. Instead of, by virtue of your baptism and then your confirmation, you're by definition a member of the church, rather than being something I choose to be part of, 
you've been chosen by God to be in this family, which you have nothing in common with many of them except to trust in Christ. And that's a good thing, because we need one another. So the question then becomes, are we really members of the body of Christ here? Living into that covenant. Growing in the word. Serving one another. Coming every Sunday that we can possibly get here, unless we're providentially hindered, right? All right? To hear the word, to receive the sacrament, to encourage one another. To get involved in ministry, whenever we confess our sins, we repent and return to the Lord. I will with God's help. Go out and minister to one another and to the community at large. That's what we say we'll do. It's all from the scripture. You might be thinking, you know, Gene, you're getting rather intense and personal here. Um, show me where I'm wrong. Please. I, call me. I'll make an appointment. I'll come to your house. Show me where I'm wrong. Because I want you to know the abundant life that I know. That's the only reason you think, wow, Gene, you're getting a little intense. I am intense. I like who I am. All right? That's just, just you hired me <laughs> 10 years ago. This is who I am. And you know what? God needs you who you are. Coming right alongside of me, all you introverts, I need you. You tone me down. I need that. You know, me and Bob were talking about this week. Bob has taught me all the intricacies of how to observe a landscape to be a good artist. I never even thought about it until I met that man. He's made me so much better. You know, he hasn't read a box score of a baseball game in 50 years. I read one this morning. <laughs> That's all right. We don't have to have the exact same interest. We got what's most important. There's a common love for the Lord and the gospel. That's the church. Come on. We need you. We can't be an orchestra without the cello section. There's ministry to be done here. We need greeters and ushers. We need more altar guild. We need more kid cat leaders. We need people to help Mark Butler because, you know, it's like we're shoving off all our kids to Calvary now, you know. We need some youth leaders just to come alongside and give them a hand. We've got lots of needs here. My friends, we're the body of Christ. And without everyone loving the Lord, encouraging one another, and getting involved where our spiritual gifts are, and if you don't know what they are, we're going to have a workshop this fall. But the reality is we can shine as we all operate together. That's the church. Third, we see a promise to our ministry. All right, the second half of verse 18, Jesus has just said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, you shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, that which you do in the kingdom will last forever. All the things we think are so important aren't and it's important that we prioritize our time together and your personal time with the Lord and your personal time with your family because that which is done for Christ has eternal effect. We've been given keys, which are, think of them as keys to the Maserati, all right? 
It's a spiritual Maserati that we have in the gospel. That we have, we can help people be admitted into the kingdom or excluded. We offer them the keys. Why wouldn't you want to drive that? It's all by grace. This salvation is by grace. It's a gift. Unmerited favor by trusting in Jesus as your Savior and Lord and walking in the light of that gospel using your gifts. That's the keys we've been given. And when he talks about loosing and binding, what he's talking about here is regulating the conduct within the church. In other words, we can call balls and strikes on one another. We're given that authority in the kingdom to say, you know what, I don't see that as being consistent with the word. Come on back. We love you. Come on back. And so, in other words, whatever we're busying our lives with, maybe the Lord is telling us to reprioritize. Because all the things we set aside as so important on the Lord's day, all the boats, all the golf balls, all the soccer games, baseball games, travel hockey, travel volleyball, don't mean a thing. I'll tell you what matters right here. The gospel of the living God. So are you a follower of Christ with me? Are you trusting him alone? Do you belong? Are you involved? Do you attend? Are you growing in faith? Are you serving? If not, this is not meant to be a guilt trip. Don't confuse Gene giving you guilt for conviction by the Holy Spirit. If it's true, let's follow together. I like the acronym FAMILY. Forget about me, I love you. Let's encourage one another. C.S. Lewis said, Jesus is either a liar which means he understood what he was doing, which would make this story evil. Or he's a lunatic, which means he was a crazy man, which makes this a very sad story. Or he's Lord. He can only be one of those three things. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or a madman, or something worse. Here's God. Here's the church. Nothing can stop us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you've given us this call. We thank you that you give us unmerited favor as we trust you, Lord and Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that if there be anyone among us who've struggled in their faith this week, who've got questions, we rejoice in that. Because this is a place which takes questions head on and runs to you, Lord Jesus, with them. And Lord God, we pray that you would just continue to do this marvel work of revival in our hearts, and that each and every one of us would plug in, serve, love you because of what you've done, not in order to earn our favor, but because we have favor with you because of what you've done for us in Jesus. For it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen.